0: welcome back after a two-week hiatus to another edition of the sports cafe i'm your host this week mike weill along with the usual panel mike mandel in philly and our two new actually one new yorker now and one new jersey person ian how new would jersey you say Inn, new, jersey? new jersey in new jersey i so we're very diverse along the east coast now we have three states and then i'm in the midwest but mike ian and adam are all back with us and we have a packed show tonight. We have a lot of stuff to talk about since we last talked to you. Um, we Before we talked, the World Series was still going on. And the Dodgers and the Rays were about to play game six. And, of course, the Dodgers won the World Series in six games. But right after, chaos ensued. So we're going to get to that. And then you had a couple of very newsworthy managerial hirings. And, of course, NFL talk. So, we got a full show for you. Adam, I'll start with you in New York. How have things been the last couple of weeks? How are you hanging in?
1: I'm doing well, obviously big news today with Uncle Stevie Cohen being announced as the, or formally introduced as the new Mets owner. I know we'll, we'll cover that later, but I am certainly on cloud nine today after that exciting press conference.
0: And Ian, as the crosstown subway rival of Adam. Are you a little bit nervous now that the Mets have the richest owner in baseball?
2: It'll be interesting. Maybe it'll get the Yankees to blow past one of their tax thresholds that they love avoiding. Um, so I'm sure we'll talk about that further, but lots of excitement in uh, the hot stove of New York baseball.
0: And Mike Mandel in the crucial city of brotherly love or near it, how, how have you been the last couple of weeks?
3: Yeah, I've I've been great, um, and I'm excited to be back here. As much as I love politics, uh, sports is a much more relaxing topic, so <laughs> it's good to be able to rejoin the podcast.
1: Depends which teams I... you root for.
0: <laughs> right, that's true. Although, Adam, <laughs> yeah. I think it's gotten a little less stressful for you. <laughs> so, all right, guys, well, great to have you, and I am excited to get to our first topic, which is... The World Series and I, we we didn't really get to recap the World Series yet, and I want to spend a minute getting your thoughts, I guess, summarizing what we saw. We saw, I thought it was a fantastic series, it was very exciting, you had two kind of polar opposites in the Rays and Dodgers, and the way that the teams were completely just into every game, there wasn't really a single game that didn't have a notable play or a notable ending, so... Mike, I'll start with you. What were your overall thoughts on this year's World Series?
3: So, so the matchup itself was great. They, they were the teams I wanted. It was the matchup I wanted. As you said, um, it was a very much competitive World Series, and it had a lot of twists and turns in each of the games. Um, I don't think any team jumped out to an insurmountable lead in any game, and I want to say there was at least three come-from-behind wins um, within the series. So... I was excited. The Dodgers uh, had a well earned victory there. I want to say it's been 32 years uh, since they last won the World Series, even though they've been knocking on the door a few times. Um, if there was one thing I didn't like, um, it, it was the way the pitching went. I, I hope this isn't a harbinger of things to come. The fact that pitchers were pulled after just letting up hits, um, starting pitchers. And th- th- that's not something I want to keep seeing. I, I, I think, you know. It, in the past I don't know 10, 15 years we've gone from allowing pitchers to pitch complete games to you know pulling them after seven if they allow a run and, and now you know we're pulling them after they allow a hit. Um, I, I think um, I think it definitely cost Kevin cash there. Um, I'd imagine he's going to be back but it was a bad strategic decision. Um, hopefully other managers learn their lessons and, and we'll, we'll go back to seeing starting pitching have a lot more relevance next season
0: and yeah Mike definitely agree the Blake Snell decision was a a huge storyline toward the end of the series Ian I want to go to you was there any moment that stood out for you or any particular player decision that was memorable or was the whole series in your mind just what you expected
2: yeah looking back a couple weeks later there's I guess two things that stand out, the Blake Snell decision for sure and then also game 4, the crazy ending to game 4 with the Rays winning on a walk off. Um that that game was or at least the end of it was one of the craziest World Series games maybe in history. I think it lost a little bit of its luster. Was it game 5 maybe? Actually game 4. No, game game, game four. 4. Yeah. Um tied with the, the Rays, you know, not actually winning the series, it, you know, maybe uh it's not going to be remembered in, in the the pantheon of great games, but uh that and obviously blake snell and then we're going to talk about the off the field issue at the end of the series which got uh you know baseball all the wrong kinds of headlines that it would have probably preferred to see you know dodgers on top and celebrating their first world series in 32 years instead we got the mainstream news media you know covering this uh coronavirus story so um those were the two things that stood out to me but i think you know the the better team won. I think both the teams were close. Um, I think I had the Dodgers in six. So um, you know, I guess you could say it went as expected. I the Dodgers just have a you know a better roster. I think the Tampa Bay bullpen was, uh, you know, they went to that that well a few too many times and and probably too early in in a few cases. So um, Cash is definitely not going anywhere. I think he just won Manager of the Year today. So I think the Rays front office is probably going to you know defend him and all that, but. I know uh, the four of us have, have been discussing uh, his quick hook, extremely quick hook in that decisive game that I don't think any of us are going to soon forget.
0: And Adam, I'll go to you. What did you take away? or Are you with Ian? The, the Kevin Cash decision sort of changed the, the series.
1: Yeah, well, I think you guys hit on the two main points. Game four was just tremendous stuff. I mean, that's an all-time classic game right there. And then obviously game six with... Uh, Kevin Cash with the very, very quick hook on Blake Snell um, at 73 pitches. And, look, I think there's some people who would defend the move and say this is what got the Rays there, but it, it it's frustrating as a baseball fan. I mean, I, I understand the Rays do things a very specific way. They don't like to have starting pitchers face guys three times in the order, but there has to be a human element to the game. You have to have a feel for the game, and you have to be willing to adjust – your your game plan, and in this case, you know Blake Snell was cruising. It's game six. It's his last game of the season uh, that that he's going to pitch in. Let him let him go all out. I mean, you want to lose with your horse on the mound. I, I think that even if you could make a case to take out Blake Snell in that situation, the fact that you bring him in uh, with Nick Anderson, who who going into that game had given up a run in six straight outings, um, and of course he, he promptly gave up another run there. It's it really makes you scratch your head it's almost like kevin cash and i'm going to uh, shout out my old employer here but it's almost like he was using nick anderson's stratomatic card from the regular season (laughs) he was not accounting at all for the way he had pitched in the playoffs and unfortunately i think everybody watching the game first guessed it and uh sure enough the it completely changed the momentum of the game but on top of that i think the the two old Overall takeaways that I had from this series in general date back to concerns that we talked about going into the season. Number one was, with this new playoff format, are we going to get the best two teams uh, in the World Series? The answer was clearly yes. I think the Rays and the Dodgers were above and beyond the the two best teams. Uh, And number two was are the games going to feel real? Is it going to feel like a legitimate championship? And I think we can all agree on that as well, that it's a resounding yes. You know, there was limited capacity fans, but at least to me, the drama was still there, and I don't think there's anybody who would dispute the legitimacy of the Dodgers' World Series title.
0: Yeah, Adam, I I agree with you. I remember we were having this debate early on before baseball started. Is it going to have an asterisk? Is it going to be legitimate? And to the players credit, they went as hard as if they were playing in front of full capacity stadiums every night. So to me, the game, the competition level felt as if it was a world series. I thought that this was to me, one of the most memorable world series in the last decade, just given the quality of play, given the moments between Brett Phillips, walk off, Randy Rosarena doing a somersault, going back to third base, then running home to score the game winning run. Um, I mean that 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 was to me the the biggest moment and then of course you have Blake Snell getting pulled and Corey Seager I mean that that's something also that stood out that Corey Seager was a guy who was considered the consensus number 1 prospect in baseball a few years ago and then started off hot got hurt everyone kind of forgot about him he was lost in the shuffle of the talented giant the talented Dodgers team and he had an amazing, amazing playoff run and took home the World Series MVP. So he was on fire. And it just was a great series all around. So the Ian touched on it before, but there was the aftermath that left a sour taste in people's mouths. So it went from being this incredible World Series, you had the Dodgers winning Game 7 3-1, to one, And I was talking about the X factor a few weeks ago and I said the Dodgers bullpen and Julio Arias pitches three innings, shuts it down for them. And then you have the team picture. Everyone's wearing masks and you're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And of course, Justin Turner got pulled in the eighth inning, the Dodgers starting third baseman. And you thought, oh, is he hurt? What's going on? And of course it's 2020. So For the first time in, I don't know how long, a few weeks, there was a positive COVID test, and it was Justin Turner. So, Ian, I'll start with you. When you saw Justin Turner go out onto the field and be in that team picture, I understood where he's coming from in terms of wanting to celebrate, but you have to be smart. So, did you have a visceral reaction to it, or did you kind of understand, okay, he just won the World Series, he has a mask?
2: Well, I think even before that, the timing of the whole thing was a bit suspect to me. Uh, you know, right after the Dodgers won the first break, they come back with Kevin Burkhart making the announcement um, of the positive test. So at that point, you know, this is before Turner stepped back onto the field. It's the question was, well, when did he test positive? How long were they holding this back? Didn't he just play in the game? When was he pulled? When did they find out? There are a lot of questions. So there's that element of it um, which, you know, we can talk about of why and and how did they end up getting test results in the middle of the game? I think we went through the whole season where I don't think that's happened to any team. Where you'd find out usually in the morning, right? You'd hear, oh, there there've been some positive, you know, uh, test results, and this game's going to be suspended or postponed. So that whole timeline was a bit strange. And then obviously. Uh, Turner taking the field and celebrating with his teammates. I mean, to me, I it was in no way in favor of it. I was pretty surprised. I mean, I, I guess, you know, I, I understand there's some rationale for it in terms of he already exposed the team, he's been around them, but it just goes against their whole protocol and, and it shows that it had no teeth and he just could get away with it. But Again, as we found out later on, it sounds like there was a breakdown not only with Turner but with team staff and with maybe the league's policy. so there's some nuance to it. but as a whole it it was a bad look for MLB. I mean it, it's they just kind of soured their uh, you know most uh, exciting moment of the season with this player getting back on the field, uh, you know being near his uh, you know manager who's a cancer survivor and things of that nature I just and with families and and things like that it was just not a a good look I understand I know the argument is how often do you win the World Series you want to go celebrate but you know maybe if he went to the other side of the field or (laughs) distanced or something like there could have been a little bit of a in-between opportunity for him instead of getting right in with everyone on the team so I was surprised and and pretty shocked that it happened and also um, rather surprised that they're not going to discipline him or seemingly anyone involved in the incident
0: yeah, Adam, what what was your takeaway? Are you with Ian that you're just appalled and cannot believe he did that? Or the guy grew, I'm playing devil's advocate because by the way, I I agree with you Ian, I think it's inexcusable, but to play devil's advocate, the guy grew up an LA Dodgers fan, I think. He just won the World Series, he was asymptomatic, and he wants to go celebrate with his teammates. So, Adam, did you see any rationale for him to be able to come back on the field or are you yeah I I wouldn't say I was
1: appalled look it's a really tough situation and I think it's partly magnified by the fact that there have been a, a lot of false positives and I think if it turned out if he found out later it was a false positive that's a moment that Turner can never get back so I certainly understand his thought process I'm not excusing it but I understand where he's coming from I think it's A lot easier. I think a lot of people say if they were in his shoes that they oh I wouldn't have gone back out on the field. But I think if you actually were in his shoes, and that was you know all your life's work and and uh, you know the uncertainty around a positive test, I think a lot of people would have done the same thing. The issue I have is number one, he went out there and took his mask off, and number two is he was touching people and touching the trophy. I think if they wanted to bring him out there to take a photo, put him off to the side. I think he could make a case for it, but uh, he, he definitely took it too far taking his mask off and, and, and certainly touching other players. Uh, but but really, the, the, the big shock through this whole thing is that, as Ian mentioned, there was no discipline, no not even a fine. Um, I thought for sure there would be a suspension, but uh, for whatever reason, I guess MLB is going to let this one uh, slip but it's under also- the rug. Yeah, and it's to your
2: point, Adam. Having like it, it really shouldn't have been up to him, right? Like it shouldn't, he shouldn't have been able to decide. Like the team or the league should have been like, you've tested positive, you have to, you know, go home and quarantine.
1: Yes, although I guess there's there's the case though. I guess MLB security tried to stop him from going on the field. So the question is, do you do you do you take a security guard and have him literally drag Turner off the field? And the optics of that, or at that point he's out there, you just let him right. Yeah, but that's basically what it came down to.
0: Mike, what would you have done if you were Rob Manfred? You probably would do a better job than Rob Manfred, but would would you have <laughs> a guy too much. take him off the field and say, hey, you tested positive, get out of here? Or do you do what MLB did, which was let him sit next to Dave Roberts, the cancer survivor, in the team picture, and then infect God knows how many other teammates. I know a few tested positive.
3: So here's where I'm going to be the villain. Um, and that... I don't know if this is a product of me being among the four of us in, in the least infected city. Um, I'm still generally, um, you know, pretty protective of, of, of myself and others when it comes to COVID. But I, I think this is a situation where you can't openly endorse it, but you'd be hard-pressed to deliver punishment. Um, because you have a guy who was an integral part of his team winning the World Series. I believe it's a, yeah, the first in his career. It might not get, you, know, you never know. It might not happen again. And I'd be curious as to whether a single one of his teammates actually cared that he came out onto the field and celebrated with them. He's part of the team, right? Um, He should be able to enjoy that celebration. It wasn't necessarily his fault that he got COVID. Um, You know, I think if there was – if it was a different population, if it was a bunch of, you know, older folks who were at risk or, you know, if we had seen teammates object to to his coming out to celebrate, it would be a different story. But as far as I know – you know, nobody on the team said anything about it, and I highly doubt any of them, you know, would have wanted him excluded from the celebration. So, I don't want to say I think it's fine, but I I understand the league's decision not to administer punishment uh, because I think most of us would have done the same thing, and I think our teammates would have wanted him in on it as well.
1: You know, it's it's kind of funny. Baseball had this bubble, right? Very strict rules. Uh, One guy tests positive, goes out on the field. It's a huge national story, right? It's just baseball's luck. But then you look at college football, and you have Notre Dame upsetting Clemson, and the entire fan base rushes the field, and I feel like nobody's talking about it. So it's just kind of... Funny how baseball, I know it's the World Series, but, you know, the, the sport in general gets a lot more scrutiny. And then it comes to college football and, you know, the fans rush the field and, and you know, it's a non-story two days later.
0: Well, I think in this instance, though, you have a player that tested positive, whether my theory is, is maybe what happened was is that there was a false reading on the first test. It was too low or too indecisive to tell And maybe they ran it before the game, and then they ran it again just to make sure, and it came up positive. So you put them off to the side. But to me, when you know someone tests positive, that's different than having— I know it's not safe to have a lot of students run on the field, and I I disagree with what they did. But what makes this so easy to scrutinize is that you had these policies in place, he tested positive, how do you let him back on the field? And that was the question that I have, that when you know he tested positive and you've been so vigilant about this, that to let him come back out, it was problematic to me. And it was sort of, I was surprised, frankly, that they didn't have a way of isolating him right away. And if they did, that they he was able to be in a place where he could come back on the field so I know they just won the one World Series but I'm pretty hard line about it I think that you can't risk Dave Roberts or other vulnerable people getting sick when this whole time you've been so strict so otherwise though it was a great World Series and hopefully it will be remembered more for the play on field rather than The aftermath. So I'm going to move on to our next topic in baseball, and I'm going to kind of lump these together because there were three managerial hirings in the last week and a half or so that made headlines. The first one was my team, the Chicago White Sox brought back a hall of famer which you would think oh that's amazing the problem is he's 76 years old which is nothing inherently wrong with that but he's been out of the game for nine years and in particular with the growth of analytics and the completely changed way front offices evaluate teams and managers are using data this troubled me so Tony LaRussa, hall of famer Hasn't managed since 2011 when he managed the Cardinals. Is the new manager of the White Sox. We'll get to that in a minute. Then you have A.J. Hinch, who, you know my stance on the Astros cheating scandal. I do not like it, but reality was A.J. Hinch was going to get a job, and he did. He got a job with the Tigers after the White Sox hired Tony La Russa. And then Alex Cora, the other member that was implicated and, and banned, because of the Astros cheating scandal is the Red Sox manager. So I want to start with Tony La Russa because today before our show, this made headlines that there was a DUI, his second DUI charge. He was, he was found in a car and failed a sobriety test. And apparently this case, this happened, the incident happened in February, but the case didn't get to court in Phoenix until the day before Jerry Reinsdorf announced his hiring as the White Sox manager. So I want to start with Adam here. And Adam, you have Steve Cohn who is going to save the Mets. But this was clearly a Jerry Reinsdorf decision.
1: You your your owner's me. not worth fourteen billion dollars. No, sorry, I can't relate. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> Maybe you better go to someone else here.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. I, I can if you want. I could go no, to I'm, man kidding, I'm kidding, I'm <laughs> kidding. But Adam, I wanted to start with you because you've lived through the hardship of having a clueless owner and Rick on, the general manager of the White Sox, was not planning on hiring Tony La Russa in the press conference he gave two weeks before the hiring he basically all but said aj hinch on the press release it said aj hinch so a do you think this has any chance of working in light of the dui scandal now and the nine-year difference or can you see ryan's door's point he's a hall of fame manager he knows how to win let's see what he can do well, to answer your first question,
1: um, do I think the DUI will affect his ability to manage? No, I don't. Um, I, I think. Uh, I mean, this is something that happened in February. It doesn't certainly doesn't excuse the action, but um, I, you know, it it certainly won't impact his ability to manage the team. He's been away from the game for a while. The game has changed a lot in ten years, but I, I know Tony LaRusso has been actively involved in the sport, um, so I, I think he'll do fine. I mean, ultimately, I think we can all agree that in baseball. The manager is, is really secondary, and it's not nearly as important as, say, an NFL head coach or an NBA coach. Uh, but but just in general, with, with some of these um, recent managerial hires, and you guys know that I cannot stand cancel culture, um, but I guess it, it really kind of bothers me to see that all of these teams, so so um, AJ Hinch was fired, Alex Cora was fired, Carlos Beltran was fired, all because of their roles in the cheating scandal, and yet they're all back a year later. Um, particularly Cora was rehired by the same team that fired him. And to me, it, it shows, I, I wish the teams would have a little bit more backbone as far as supporting their guys. I mean, look, people make mistakes, it happens. If, if you believe in, in, in this person's character... Um, and you believe in their ability to manage them. I don't think that they should be caving to public pressure to fire a guy. Um, in the case of what happened, fortunately for Hinch and for Cora, they were both rehired a year later. But a guy like Carlos Beltron now is the odd man out. He was far, he wasn't even he wasn't even a coach. He was a player on that Astros roster, and now he's probably least likely to get another shot to manage. Um, You know, out of the three, I don't know if he'll ever get another managerial job. And I think it was the reason he was let go is because of the public pressure. And I guess the point is their actions are no worse now than they were a year ago or they're no better now than they were a year ago. So the fact that these guys were essentially fired for a year and in the Red Sox case, they brought the same guy back.
0: It just seems a little uh, hypocritical to me. Mm-hmm. And I'll open up the question. So let's take LaRusa, Hinch, and Cora. Mike Mandel, what hire do you think has the best chance to succeed? And what hire to you was the most surprising? Or are they the same answer?
3: De- definitely not. Um, I- I'll start w- w- with LaRusa because I-, I i thought that was dubious from the start, <laughs> even before I uh, heard about the DUI. Um, Having been so far removed from the game in nine years, I feel like he's been a lifetime in baseball. And, you know, he was a winner, but can he really be a a winner when when it's almost a totally new game? And, I mean, when it comes to the DUI, right, this is clearly not the first time he's done this. It might have only been the second time that he got caught, right? But he clearly does this on a regular basis. The guy's 76 years old um, and still hasn't grown up. I don't know if that's the type of leadership that you want in that clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know nonetheless, the White Sox are on the up and up, so he might do fine. Um, I think when it comes to both AJ Hinch and Alex Cora, um, you know i I hate the cheaters as much as you do. Um, I think they probably should have gotten punished further, but I understand why the team's hired them. they are they are winning managers. I want to say AJ Hinch. Um, was a 100-plus game winner for for th- three straight seasons. Um, you know, then you had Alex Cora who who led his own team to the World Series. Um, so I understand why they want them, and I would I would imagine that of the two, um, Cora's got the best chance to succeed, given that he's coming back to his old team, um, a good chunk of which has remained the same. I know there have been some some changes, but um, I did lose their best player. They, they, they did, but they still have a lot of their core, and, and you know I think he, he sees this as an opportunity. He sees himself as almost having a chance to play the hero, turn around a team that did terribly this year, um, back into its uh, winning style. You know I think Hinch has some more work to do with the Tigers, just because the Tigers, you know, don't have the greatest team or the greatest recent history. So you know, he, maybe he's the guy to do it, but he's going to have a challenge ahead of himself.
1: But if you're the Red Sox, why did you fire Alex Cora a year ago, if if you were going to hire him a year later? Is this strictly a PR move? Oh, is it absolutely. the fact that they had such a terrible season this year, and then they realized, hey, Cor is the best guy out there? Like it, to me, it just doesn't it
0: doesn't add up. That's and Adam, I I think, I think that it. your point is a valid point that Ian, to you, does this really do nothing to disincentivize cheating because you have these two guys that supposedly were blackballed or at least thrown out for a year. And then right away with no consequence, Alex Cora gets hired by the team that fired him and Hinch is managing the Tigers now. So is does this leave the door open for more cheating scandals? Is this punishment not enough?
2: Yeah, so I think there's a few different elements here short answer is yes i think just the fact of these managers getting hired back so quickly shows that the punishment was not enough and you know with the the shortened season it makes it even uh less of a a real punishment i mean they only missed 60 games i think the beltran piece is a little bit different because he didn't have that experience the other guys do have you know that that championship experience but Looking at it as a Yankee fan, to me, this is just a, a typical Red Sox move. I mean, they're just going to be even easier to hate. You know, they get rid of the the manager who who cheated and bring him back after one year. So I agree with Adam. I mean, it really doesn't make much sense unless, you know, MLB was kind of pressuring them behind the scenes or something to that effect. Um, you know, there's plenty of coaches out there to go back to the same well where you just fired the guy uh, is is a little bit strange to me. Um, And then on the, the Larusa point, um, you know, we saw stuff after the, before the DUI that a lot of um, Hall of Famers and senior baseball folks were really annoyed that he did this because he basically, I guess, unofficially announced his retirement. They induct him into the Hall of Fame, and that's kind of the, you know, time to kind of step away from the field. Um, and he he went out and and obviously got another job, which is his prerogative. Uh, but it's definitely a controversial hire, even before the DUI. Bringing in an an older guy who hasn't been on the field in nine years, and yes, he's been around the game, but I don't know if that's the same as as being on the field. And um, it'll be interesting to see. I don't know if Mike has heard from any players. If there's any whispers on if people are, uh, you know, happy, unhappy. I know Marcus Stroman uh, came out today, kind of. <laughs> he's not going to consider the White Sox. So to me, it's something I, I think of it a lot as as Dan Snyder with Washington, as you know. He's going to run the team how he wants to run it. And until the sponsors start pulling out, he's not going to care. I don't think he's going to cave to public pressure until, you know, it starts affecting his bottom line. And right. by the and way,
1: I, sorry, I just want to clarify one point. So I don't, I don't think I'm not, I was not saying that these managers don't deserve to work again, or even that they don't deserve to work after the year suspension. I, I think the a year suspension is fine. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a full season. It's a a full salary a full year's worth of salary that they're missing out. My problem is the teams that fire these guys because of public pressure from the media. The Red Sox to me there would have been nothing wrong if they said, "Look, Alex Cora made a big mistake. It was while he was part of another organization. He's going to serve a year of suspension and then he'll be back as our manager next season." But to fire him just to please the crowd who said who who says, you know, who's cancel culture, everyone must be fired who makes a mistake, that's where I have a problem with it.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I think that there's now in hindsight the fact that, especially with Cora, that he got quote-unquote fired but then rehired in the exact same position a year later, it's not enough for me. This was cheating in the playoffs, and who knows how many players it affected. Who knows how many games this, how many games this affected, how many outcomes this affected. So, I, it's just strange to me. Regarding Larusa, Ian, your question. As a White Sox fan, I've waited ten years for them to be good again. Over ten years, eleven years, for them to even sniff the playoffs. And Rick Hahn has done a masterful job rebuilding the team in the last four or five years. And here you have a team that it's the the hottest job in the league. For once, the White Sox are the destination that the managers and the players want to go to. And Jerry Reinsdorf can't help himself, as we know from the last dance. He does things his way, and he comes in and just completely supersedes Rick Hahn, which he's the owner. I understand, but it's like he's sabotaging himself because by hiring LaRusa, you're sending a message to the players like Marcus Stroman, who are free agents. We don't want you here. And you are also sending a message to your own players saying, I don't really care about the direction of the team, about what you guys would want in the clubhouse what would be best at this stage when you have a team that's on the cusp of contending for a World Series. He's like, I want to bring back Tony LaRusso, who I mistakenly fired in 1986, and now I'm sad about it. So it's just wrong on so many levels, and it confirms the fact that Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't care about the fans, doesn't care about his own players, doesn't care about the direction of the rebuild. He just wants to do what he wants to do. And if Tony Larusa wins, then everything will be good. But it's just it leaves a horrible taste in my mouth and Ian to your point about Stroman, yeah. Like now it gets bad because now you're actively a detriment to your team. If free agents still wanted to come to the White Sox despite Larusa being there, it's not actively a detriment because Larusa as an on-field manager will be fine, I think. But now that players don't want to come It makes it even worse. So I think that of the three managers, La Russa obviously is the biggest surprise. The biggest chance to succeed, I think, in the long run, actually, is A.J. Hinch because he can really start molding the Tigers' young pitchers and young talent into something that he had similar to the Astros. So we'll see what happens. I want to go to Adam's favorite topic tonight, the Mets' It's official. They have a new owner, Steve, Uncle Stevie Cohn, worth over fourteen billion dollars. I believe Adam on Twitter earlier said that he was <laughs> in love. So Adam, congratulations, man. Thank it's, you.
1: Thank you. It's a big day. Oh my goodness. I I'm I'm not exaggerating when I tell you this is a top five Mets moment in my lifetime. And that says a lot. Um, I'm not understating how big a day it is, but just the lack of, I guess, you know, celebratory moments that I've had. Um, I think what I'm going to learn very quickly is just how big a difference competent ownership can make. Um, You know, this is a guy who. Wants to model the Mets after the Dodgers franchise. You lo- it's you know, you think back to ten years or whatever it was when Frank McCourt owned the Dodgers and he filed for bankruptcy. And if you remember back then, the Dodgers were, I think, middle of the pack in payroll. They they were not a perennial playoff contender. And you see what happens when you bring in, um, you know, real adults uh, to run the organization. The Dodgers now have the highest payroll in the league, and they make the playoffs every year. And they finally broke through and won the World Series. Um, Steve Cohen had a amazing quote today that I do want to read um, about how he views the Mets as a business. He said, I'm essentially doing it for the fans. I can make millions of people happy, and what an incredible opportunity that is. I'm not trying to make money here. I have my business at P72, and I make money there. Here, it's about building and winning. So this guy is telling you, he doesn't care if he makes money running the Mets franchise. This guy wants to win. He is a, a die-hard Mets fan who has seen one of the worst franchises in professional sports in the last thirty years, and basically is willing to do or spend whatever it takes to put them back on the map and build a sustainable contender. Um, as a long-suffering Mets fan who's never seen a championship in any of uh, from any of his favorite teams. Uh, today is just awesome. This guy is going to turn the franchise around. Um, next season, there's going to be a lot of buzz and excitement. I know if I were a Yankee fan, I'd probably be a little bit nervous right now because the Mets are, are going to go from, you know, middle of the pack perennial 75, 80 win team to Dodgers of East coast one of the top payrolls in the league and a, a free agent, uh, destination. So, uh, I'm super excited. I I didn't want to jinx it, um, up until now, but it's official and uncle Stevie's my guy. Let's go. Let's get to work.
0: And Adam, you brought up the Yankees. So Ian, I'll go to you. Are you nervous or do you just not care because they're in a different league? And if you have to worry about them, you'll see them in the world series. Well, the first thing
2: I was thinking about when Adam you said it was your top five Mets moment, I'm a little surprised it's not higher because for me <laughs> this would be getting rid of Dolan and the Knicks, and I think that would probably be top three or so. Well,
1: I, I I think it would it ranks number three behind okay. the two World Series uh, or the National League pennants. It's number three. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, I
2: mean, you know, he's 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 talking exact. He's saying exactly what he needs to be saying. Um, and I guess we can assume he's gonna, you know. Do do that in terms of action and and signing the right guys. He's already cleaned house in terms of the front office. Um, you know, I'm hoping it's a positive for the Yankees that they can uh, you know have another team to worry about in a sense. Um, you know, I think you've seen it sometimes with the Yankees and the Red Sox with the rivalry. And if one team makes a big free agent signing, you know, the other the other will kind of potentially panic or make kind of a corresponding move. The one that still uh, is stuck in my memory is the Keiagawa signing at this point was many years ago after the Red Sox signed Matsuzaka, right? Was that, do I have that right? Yes,
1: that's right. Um,
2: so, you know, even you know, we're going to see it right away with DJ LeMayo. I mean, the Yankees will want to resign him, but are the Mets going to swoop in and, and pay him more money? Um, obviously, the Yankees don't have a, a side business or a, a business besides the team <laughs> the way uh, Steve Cohen does. So, um, with teams right now crying poverty, given, you know, the lack of revenue this past season, it's, I guess it's a little bit of a concern for sure. Um, but until we actually see these moves start taking place, uh, you know, I'm not going to throw my hands up either. I mean, the Yankees have also been, you know, the biggest spenders, I think over the last 10 years in total. So it's not like, uh, you know they're a team that's uh, that has no money and doesn't spend the money. It's just a matter of are they going to start losing out on free agents to the Mets or are the Mets going to, you know, pay a dollar more than the Yankees for any given free agent to to lure them in. Um, and I don't know if Adam, you might know, was Steve Cohen asked about that in terms of a rivalry with the Yankees and and kind of the cross. Yes, he
1: he was actually, and he gave a very good answer, of course, because every answer he gave today was just absolutely perfect. Uh, he said he said we you know. I I don't worry about the Yankees. I worry about all 29 teams in Major League Baseball, which is perfect. Um, But I think the one thing that a competent, wealthy owner like Steve Cohen brings to the fans, which is the most important thing you can possibly give to your fan base, is hope. I mean, my entire life, and Mike Mandel, I know you can't relate to this, but my entire life, Mike, while you certainly can relate to this, the Mets have been the little brother of the Big Bad Yankees, just like the White Sox to the Cubs. And and for the first time in my life, the Mets now have the spending power to compete with a team like the Yankees and and that's arguably awesome. surpass them. I mean, it's that's why I, I'm so happy
0: for you. I, I, I never
1: thought, thought I is, would see this day. It is it is so unbelievable. I'm still waiting for somebody to wake me up from this dream. It yeah. is it is crazy,
0: for but I'm
1: so excited. Days. And yeah. I truly believe. Sorry, I truly believe they they went as far as to ask him uh, when. Fans can expect to uh, win the World Series, and he said, three to five years, uh, if not sooner. Um, if not, then it w- he'd be very disappointed. So I actually, I am uh, getting ready to to plan the parade in the next three to five years. I've waited long enough, and and I'm ready. I, I believe that Uncle Stevie's going to deliver.
0: And Adam, I was going to say that it makes me happy because that's my dream for the White Sox. Eventually, that someone. Maybe Jerry will sell the team soon. I don't know. He should. But someone will make us able to compete with the Cubs and other quote-unquote big market teams. But Mike Mandel, I'll go to you because last offseason, the Phillies spent hundreds of millions of dollars on Bryce Harper and Zach Wheeler. And to quote their general manager and owner, they were planned to spend stupid money. So... It looks like the NL East between the Mets, the Phillies, and the Braves, and, and the Nationals, are they, they could be in there with an up-and-coming Marley, Marlins team. The NL East is going to get tough really quickly. So as a Phillies fan, are you disappointed or just dejected today, or are you happy for Adam and, and the Mets? <laughs>
3: Well, 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 first off, you know, you said the key word, stupid money, right? We we, we, uh, we paid Bryce Harper several hundred million, and, and so far he, he's done basically nothing for us that, that we hadn't had before. I want to say there was a one-win difference between 2018 and 2019, and you can't necessarily compare 2020 because it was a shorter season, but they, they, they missed the playoffs even when it's expanded. So um, I, I think they're going to need to start spending smart money if they want to compete. Um, but listen, well—, well you know, well done for Adam, um, for all Mets fans. Really, uh, Steve Cohen—he's the type of uh, selfless owner that a- any baseball fan wants. Um, and th- and this is the one sport you can do this because of the lack of salary cap, where you can actually have an owner come in here and, um, if, if he or she is willing, you know, spend that amount of money if they're really in it for the fans. And and you know, if, if they're already so rich, that money is, you know, second priority. And you know, the interesting thing about that is long term actually is going to make a lot more money off of this because if, if the Mets indeed do become the um, the championship caliber team that that he expects, um, they'll obviously be selling a lot more merchandise and, and he'll still benefit from that. You know, As a Phillies fan, I, listen, we're, we're, we're not in a position where we can compete with, with the best of the best. We know that. We are years away from that. Um, so if that time comes, then maybe I'll start dating on Steve Cohen for... You know, being such a a good money spinner, but at this point, I, I it's hard for me to have strong feelings about it given the the Phillies' current position. Um, I don't think we expect them to be competitive for for a little bit at this point.
0: Hmm. So it's interesting because we have Ian as the crosstown Yankee fan, and and Mike as a division rival. For me, as Adam said, I, and I said earlier, I'm just happy for you given the fact that you're the quote-unquote second team in your city and now you're gonna get to be on the same level financially as your subway series rivals so kudos to steve Cohn and the mets and i'm looking forward to the braves mets phillies nationals and potentially marlins all battling it out for years to come so With that, we're going to wrap up baseball and go to the sport that's currently in season, the National Football League. So first topic this week, we're at the midpoint now. We're at week 10 or a little bit past the midpoint. And I want to go around and ask each of you guys, who is your biggest surprise at this point in the season in terms of positive things going on? And who is your biggest disappointment? In terms of obviously negative things, so Mike Mandel, I'll start with you. Um, who you can you can do both in one shot. Who would you say is your biggest surprise, and who is your biggest disappointment?
3: So my biggest surprise, I know I share it with Adam, so I'm going to let him have this one. It is the Dolphins, um, and that's pretty clear. But I'll say my next biggest surprise is the Cleveland Browns, because there have been, I'd say, two decades of empty promises about. You know, how finally one of these draft picks is going to make this team great. I think they've had one playoff season in the last, I don't know, 20, 25 years. And it was a 9-7 and seven season. They knocked out in the first round. And um, it, for once, we're seeing a winning Browns team. And it seems that even without OBJ, they're still going to have the capability to compete. You know, granted, they have a tough division here with both the Steelers and the Ravens. But with that extra wild card spot, you um, you might see the Cleveland Browns make the playoffs. Um, they're a team that has a lot of promise going forward. Uh, I mean, ha- when's the last time they've been 5-3? and three? When's the last time they've, they've been a winning team this far into the season? It, it had to have been a a very long time. Um, and their defense obviously needs a, w- a lot of work. It's, it's pretty shaky right now, but their offense looks good. Um, so I, I think a lot of Browns fans, they, they, they've been happier than they've been in a long time to actually – see a team that's fun to watch um as far as disappointments go i'm gonna i'm gonna take the state of texas um because both the cowboys and the texans have been disappointed disappointments now the cowboys i don't mind so much being the eagles biggest rivals um and it's also you know they've got a higher injury rate than even the average football team so it's hard to entirely blame them on on simply sucking um I mean, you can blame their conditioning for, for the amount of injuries they've had, but um, they, they've had some bad luck there. But with the Texans, you know, I don't get it, right? They were they were coming into the season with a full head of steam. Um, I'd say, if not favorites to win the division, at least set to compete with the Titans. Um, and, and here they are at 2-6. They've got virtually no chance of making the playoffs. Um, Bill O'Brien, uh, who started the season as their manager, gets fired. Um you know, the Sean Watson, who who was probably pegged as a, a future MVP. Um, he he's having a fairly uh, mediocre season. You you understand why? It's because his best weapon is no longer available. But nonetheless, this is a team that had a lot of pieces potentially in place, and you know he, he, here they are with um, with an anemic offense, not the best defense here, um, and i I'd, I'd imagine that texas texans fans have already written off the season um, i don't think there anybody would have come into the season saying that the browns do better than the texans
0: and i i think i would agree with you i i was gonna say the texans actually but adam will go to you since mike left the biggest surprise to you the miami dolphins uh who is your biggest surprise i i guess it's the dolphins and who is your biggest disappointment
1: yeah i mean what what has impressed me so much with the Dolphins is you you rewind to the beginning of last season where the Dolphins were clearly set up to tank. They wanted a quarterback. They ended up getting uh, Tua, um, despite actually putting together a pretty solid record. I think they won five five games last year, maybe I want to say um, yeah. something like that. And they they've turned things around really quickly under Brian Flores. Uh, they're five and three this year. They're they're certainly um, in contention for, um, a playoff spot. I mean, I think they even have an outside shot at the division. So I think you have to give a lot of credit to Miami in just one season, turning things around and becoming a, a playoff contender. To me, the the biggest disappointment without question is the Patriots. And I know that they have had a lot of injuries, but they looked so good at the start of the season. And you started wondering, wow, I mean, Think of all of the possibilities that Bill Belichick has with a with a quarterback like Cam Newton and his ability to run the football, which he never had with Tom Brady. Just this completely different skill set. But clearly, um, you know the the team has regressed. I think the injuries have caught up to them. Uh, as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, um, you know Belichick is my guy, so I I I will never say that. Oh, you know he can't win without Brady because I don't I don't believe that's the case. But um, Cam Newton is is clearly uh, taking a step back this season and uh, you almost get the sense that that belichick is kind of half in half out on the season I think he'd he would have loved to have lost last night's game to the Jets and helped their chances of getting the franchise quarterback and Trevor Lawrence but um yeah I I, I I can see the Patriots um you know finishing eight and eight and then quickly turning things around next year when they get healthy and and hopefully get a quarterback for their sake whether it's through the draft or, or maybe they figure out a way to reunite with uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, who sounds like maybe on his way out in San Francisco.
0: Although I'm sure as a Jets fan, you wouldn't mind if they suffered for a few years given their past run. Well, so- Adam, Adam took uh, sort
2: of both of my disappointments <laughs> in his answer. So I'll start there. I was going to mention the Patriots, but I, but I did have a backup in mind because I thought mm-hmm. someone would talk about them. The other one was going to be Jimmy Garoppolo and just how much he has fallen out of favor since you know being a Super Bowl quarterback and now he's borderline like out of the league or you know we'll see what happens with him whether he does reunite with the Patriots but that one is is a pretty big disappointment and the Patriots too I mean they started so strong and and they've just had a lot of trouble of late so yeah i mean we'll see I, I at this point though adam i don't know if they're gonna turn it around i, I understand belichick you know has a career resume oh, not this season yeah no but i mean even next season like at some point he's gonna have to call it a day i mean he's approaching 70 isn't he um well that didn't know.
1: stop but th- th- think about maybe this was all part of his plan so brady leaves right you get a one-year stop gap in cam newton uh you, you lose a few games get a good draft pick and then you know, you bring Garoppolo back. That was supposed to be the plan all along, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean
2: I think the the lack of good draft picks is catching up to them. Um so we will see. Maybe he'll he's he's still the GM too, right? They don't have an actual GM. Yeah. yeah. Mean, you know, Ed-
1: Edelman's uh, been hurt. They they've been decimated yeah, with, I know. with James a, White missed some time.
2: COVID and all that. But my my uh, biggest surprise from a positive standpoint is the Pittsburgh Steelers being the only undefeated team in the league. I you know thought they'd be good above 500, but not 8-0 and level, especially with Roethlisberger in his age 38-year season, is playing so well. He's only thrown four picks all year. Uh, they have a very good chance of winning the next two games and going 10-0 and before their big um, Thanksgiving night matchup against the Ravens, which might be the game of the year. Um, so a team like that, you know, I guess it's, you know, you talk about kind of the ownership and the coach and having that longevity. I think that really helps in the NFL and, you know, they're just a a perennial, uh, Super Bowl contender. And, and this year is, you know, some of the best football they've been playing. And it just seems like every year there's a new set of wide receivers. You know, you thought Juju Smith Schuster would be the long-term number one star and he's had some good games, but they've got guys all over the field that Roethlisberger is able to throw to. And a lot of that probably has to do with great drafting.
0: Yeah, and you guys took a lot... So many disappointments this year, I didn't realize how many teams could be disappointments. You could just disappointments. say Right, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking about doing that, but I'm going to spare Ian, you, and, and Mike, you, the embarrassment because we know it's been talked about ad nauseum on all the national broadcasts. But to me, the Minnesota Vikings are the biggest disappointment. They were projected by a lot of people to, if not win come in in a strong second in the nfc north and it's not too late for them they've been playing better won two games in a row but their defense just looks horrendous so the vikings at three and five previously at one and five so they're again turning it around were extremely disappointing at least at the start Um, So I would say they're the biggest disappointment. How how about the How about the year Dalvin Cook has had though? The the guy's going to have like
1: the single best season ever for a running back. Dude's a monster. Yeah,
0: he's been phenomenal, and a lot of it has been the defense. And Kirk Cousins has some limitations, but yeah, Dalvin Cook has established himself as a surefire top five back in the league this year. And in terms of surprises, um, there's been a lot of them, but. A team we haven't mentioned yet is the Las Vegas Raiders. They were a laughingstock a few years ago. They traded Khalil Mack. They hired John Gruden. People were like, what are you doing? And now they're 5-3. and three. They're probably going to make the playoffs. And between Derek Carr, Josh Jacobs, their receivers, you, you got a viable offense. And the defense has come together and stepped up. So they are 4-1 one away, 1-2 one and two at home, and their road record shows you that they can play teams tough in any environment. So, the interesting thing to see will be they have a negative point differential, but I think everyone in the West does because Kansas City is so dominant. So, to me, the Las Vegas Raiders, of the teams we did not mention, are the biggest surprise. And now, turning to our own teams, um, we're going to get to the segment of the show where we picked this week's games, and also recap last week. So before we pick this week's games, I want to give a rundown of the standings. And Adam Rosen, not only do you have the richest owner in baseball, <sighs> but you are dominating the picks this year. You are ten games over five hundred, nineteen and nine. and neither me, Ian, or Mike are above five hundred now. So, Adam you're 19 and 9, 2 and 2 last week. I'm 14 and 14, 1 and 3 last week. I should have picked the Giants, still kicking myself. Ian's 14 and 14. He's coming. Ian went from last place moving up. And Mike My Mandel 500 had week a, brought me up to place. Yeah, I got you to 14 and 14. So you had a good week 2 weeks ago and Mike Mandel, sorry, about last week. So Mike and is sitting at 13 and 15, only one game behind those. So Mike i guess i'll go to you first the the first matchup we have is your eagles your first place eagles against ian's new york giants so what is your takeaway from what you saw last week or the last couple weeks and what are you thinking in this game it's eagles and giants the giants are getting three points
3: so, so the last sunday was enjoyable because the eagles had a bye so i i was spared uh you know some of the embarrassment that i've seen this season um the, the, the Cowboys game, that's got to be one of the ugliest wins I've ever seen. It's like we were, the Eagles were bad beating the worst Cowboys team. But they're at the top of their division at 3-4-1. and one. I want to say that there is a statistic out there somewhere that I read that the Eagles have a better shot at winning their division than the Steelers, who are undefeated, uh, do at winning theirs. Um, and I think the way th- th- the season lays out right now, um, I think the Eagles would likely win the division at 7-8-1. and one. If they were to sweep the rest of the games in their division and win just one out of the other five games they have, Um, probably end up being the Browns because their other four teams are are pretty unbeatable. Um, Now against the Giants, um, here's the thing: the Giants have beaten the spread more often than they haven't. And um, you know the Eagles are um, they're what they're the three point favorites. I'm I'm actually gonna I'm gonna go with the Giants here. I, I I don't know whether I hope I'm wrong or not, because I still kind of want them to, to not win the division. But uh, I I actually think that the Giants are um, in better shape to, to at least beat the spread, um, even if they end up losing the game.
0: So, okay. Yeah. So, Ian, what are your thoughts? I guess I'll go to you, because Giants are playing the Eagles. So, if you want to give your thoughts on the last couple weeks and then on Sure, this game. the
2: state of the uh, best franchise in the metropolitan area in terms of football (laughs) not saying too much um no i mean the giants have been to me one of the biggest disappointments in football i don't think any of us thought they'd be this bad at two and seven uh we thought they'd make some progress from last year and uh you know it's been really pathetic uh even their win this past week against washington they squeaked by with a three-point victory and, and almost blew it towards the end. So I have absolutely no confidence in this team. Um, we'll probably not watch too much of this game as I haven't watched much of the giants in the last few weeks. And it's become a theme over the last few years. Once you get past like September the giants are basically out of it. So, um, you know, with the spread, I could see it being a close game, but it's hard for me to have any confidence in the Giants, so I will take the Eagles. I mean, they are leading the division and uh, have, in my sense, more to play for and, and, you know, to kind of pull away a little bit, so I think the Eagles will pull it out and win by at least a field goal.
0: And then, Adam, the Jets have a bye this week, so I'll let you, if you want to, comment on... They kept it close yesterday, so you could comment on that. They covered the spread for the first time. For the first first time, Yeah. yeah. Or you can just go on and pick this yeah.
1: game. I mean, yeah, all, all I'll say real quick on the Jets is, I mean, there's nothing worse than when you are in a position where you have to actively root against your own team. I mean, that's just the worst case scenario in the Jets case. They're desperately trying to lose out to get the number one pick and they they almost, when I say blew it, I mean they almost beat <laughs> accidentally the Patriots um, if it weren't for blowing a 10-point lead late in the fourth quarter. Um, but it's tough. It's, it's tough to um, you know actively root so hard against your team just to hope they'll get the number one pick. As far as the Eagles-Giants is concerned, I know the Giants don't have a lot to show in the win column. Their only two wins are against Washington, but I like the way that they've played. They continue to show growth. Uh, they've they've competed in a lot of games. They should have beaten the Eagles earlier in the season. I know they lost that one-point game. They were, were very close against Tampa. Um, you know they, they won last week, so I'm going to take the Giants at plus three.
0: Okay, and Adam, I think I, I've been burned by the Giants a lot this year, and now that you took them, I, <laughs> I was thinking of taking them, but I, I want to catch up to you. So, Mike, the Eagles are in first place, even though they're three and four. I'd like to think they have enough talent to beat the Giants by more than three after what Ian said. So I'm going with the Eagles. So rolling with Ian on this one. So on to the next game. It's my Chicago Bears who are crashing extremely hard back down to earth against my biggest disappointment, the Minnesota Vikings, who will probably beat the Bears. Um, And the Bears are getting... Two and a half points at home. So that just shows you what Vegas thinks of the Bears. They're five and four. The Vikings are three and five. But going off of recent performance, I'm going to pick the Vikings in this one because uh, I'll lump it into the comment I had about last week's game. The Bears last week had a historically bad offensive performance, at least from a game watching perspective. They just couldn't get anything going. Their offensive line is completely decimated by injuries, by COVID, and they have no running game whatsoever. Nick Foles gets no time to throw the ball, and the defense can only do so much. So the Bears, just it's, it's the same story again with them, that every year it seems like if they have a shot, the defense is elite. The offense can't get out of their own way and be even average. So it's the same story. They hired Matt Nagy, who is supposedly an offensive-minded coach, and he's not getting the job done so vikings i'm gonna take their favored on the road it's tough because it's a division game but i really have not been impressed with the bears so i'm gonna go vikings minus two and a half um adam i'll go to you this time bears vikings
1: i am gonna take minnesota here uh, at minus two and a half i think the vikings have grossly underachieved this year. That that team has way too much talent. I I think that they'll turn their season around. I don't know if there, there's enough time to make the playoffs, but as I mentioned before, I love the way Dalvin Cook has been playing. Uh, the Bears have burned me. I think the last couple weeks with the spread, so I'll take Minnesota. Okay,
3: and Mike mandel Yeah, you know it's it's been disheartening the the last few weeks because I love BD Nick, um, but he's getting absolutely no time to do anything. I think. Um, there was a time where he even admitted to uh, a couple of sportscasters that he knows that half the plays that the coach calls are not going to work because he doesn't have the time. And the Vikings—they—they they might be your your biggest disappointment, but right now they're a runaway train. Their season is nowhere near over, and with a full head of steam, I've got to pick them here.
0: Okay, and Ian, do you agree with the three of us? Or are you going to be four for four? Yeah. Okay. We're all so gonna, everyone's.
2: I, I think we the Bears, right? Yeah, gonna... I
0: mean, it's good for me because I can root for them without any punishment right. affect in this anyone pool. Else.
2: Yeah, I just think, yeah. same to Adam's point. I, I picked the Bears last week. I Yeah, they just seem <laughs> kind it's, of dead. It's a mess. It's, so a, it's, a it's all they totally kind of show some signs of life. The spread's uh, small enough that I will take the Vikings.
0: And then usually we do one game of the week, but because the Jets have a bye and the Eagles are playing the Giants and we want to catch up to Adam, we're do or make it interesting, we're going to do three games this week so real quick let's do a rundown the first game we have is the Seahawks against the Rams the Rams are favored by a point and a half Mike Mandela I'll start with you who do you like in the Seahawks versus or Ian actually I'll start with you who do you like in the Seahawks versus Rams game
2: yeah this one should be a great game two of the better teams in the in the league of course Russell Wilson had a had a tough game in uh, Buffalo this past week I think he'll bounce back um, I could see the the Seahawks with the kind of, you know, experience in these big games more so than the Rams pulling this one off. Or at least, uh, I guess, technically they could be losing in a squeaker and still cover the spread. So I will take the Seahawks.
0: Ian, I agree with you. I'll jump in here. I'm going to take the Seahawks as well. I love Russell Wilson getting points. And the Rams were terrible last year. They've had a good year this year. No fans in the stands. So I like Russell Wilson anytime he's getting points the way he's playing Seahawks. Adam, who's your pick? I'm taking the Seahawks as well. I'm surprised by the spread as you guys are.
1: Um, Seahawks surprisingly have an awful defense but they can put up points with anybody and um, Russell Wilson I know he had a tough game last week but he's been lights out all season long certainly an MVP candidate. Um, I'll take the Rams. I'll take the uh,
3: the Seahawks over the inconsistent Rams. okay and Mike Mandel I'm gonna go with the Rams. they're inconsistent but for whatever reason they're consistent at home even without the fans. Um, they also were well-rested coming out of a bye week. Um, I think it's going to be a great game um, where, where the Rams are going to come out on top.
0: Yeah, and if the Rams had a bye last week, Sean McVay has had an extra week to prepare for the Seahawks. So maybe that's why the Rams are getting points here. Mike, I'll go back to you for this next one. The Colts against the Titans. The Titans are getting minus two.
3: Who do you like in this one? Yeah, the, 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 this is a tough one um, because I I do think this is going to be a nail-biter, <laughs> even a chance that the Titans win by less than two. But uh, I've, I've got to go with the Titans at home. I think they're one of the less restrictive states. They've got some fans in the stands. Um, this is a division grudge match, and, you know, the Colts have impressed me somewhat this year, but I think the Titans are still the better team here. Okay, Adam,
0: who's your pick? This is
1: a big game. Uh, one game separates the two for the division. Um, at two-point spread to me, you, you just pick the team they think's going to win. So I'm going to pick the Titans. I know they've lost two out of three, but um, I think they're the better team. I'll take them with the minus two. Ian? Yeah, this one
2: I, I definitely can see going either way. I feel like the Colts are pretty inconsistent, um, but you know they also do have some big wins. I mean, they, they beat Detroit by 20 Um Well, maybe that was their biggest win. Obviously, the Bears' victory doesn't look as good as it did. Beating Minnesota early in the season. I'll go against the grain and take the Colts on the road.
0: Okay, and as for me, this is, by the way, the Thursday night game. So it's a really good game for Thursday night. Um, I'm going to agree with Mandel and Adam here to your points. The Colts have not been consistent. The Titans aren't getting any respect, and they're a great team. They have a good offense. Their defense is underperformed, but... Overall, Vrabel knows what he's doing. So I like the Titans at least by two. So Tennessee for me. And then Buffalo, Arizona, I guess I'll start with this one. This game to me is the most interesting game of the week because the Bills are now the leaders in the AFC East. Josh Allen had a phenomenal game last week, upset the Seahawks, put up 41. And then the Cardinals, Kyler Murray is electric so the cardinals are favored at home here but to me i i like the bills defense to find a way to shut down kyler murray i think the bills getting points here is too good to pass up so i'm gonna take buffalo getting two and a half at arizona and then ian i guess i'll go to you next
2: Yeah, I'll go with Arizona. Um, I think being at home, Buffalo traveling, I don't love... I think they had a big win uh, this past week, and I could Mm -hmm. see a little bit of a letdown um, on the road, but definitely agree that looking forward to watching this one. Two young quarterbacks, um, but I'll take the Cardinals in Arizona.
1: Adam? This should be a great game. I'm I'm excited to watch this for sure. Um, I think the knock on Buffalo early on may have been that they had a weak schedule, but I think... Last week's resounding win over Seattle makes them very legitimate. But that being said, I see you're uh, in the spreadsheet. You're going to put me down for Buffalo, but I am going to pick Arizona here. Um, I love the way Kyler Murray's played. He is one of, if not the most exciting player in the NFL right now. Um, I'll take them with the points. Um, As Ian mentioned before, Buffalo coming off a big win, traveling across the country. I see maybe a little bit of a letdown game. I'm taking the Cardinals.
3: Could be. And Mike Mando. Two teams with a lot of firepower, a couple of great young quarterbacks. Um, Kyler mary has been outstanding. Um, Allen has really stepped it up. Um, I'm going to go with the Bills. Um, They've got two and a half points, and uh, the, the Cardinals, they, uh, they fell to the Dolphins, and I think the Bills are even better than the Dolphins. So um, I'm going to have to go with the Bills this week.
0: Okay, so we're split there. The Mikes have Buffalo. Ian and Adam has Arizona. So now we're going to go to final thoughts. And Adam, I'll start with you. What do you have for us this week?
1: All right, I'm going to make my final thought NBA-related. So I don't know if you guys have seen, but uh, teams are starting to reveal their alternate jerseys for the season. Mm -hmm. And some of them are just beyond hideous. And, you know, you look at some of these jerseys, and it's like, what what is... what is happening with the nba i mean you look at a team like the knicks they're blue and orange the chicago bulls are red and white and you see these ridiculous looking alternate jerseys which are completely different color scheme uh that has nothing to do with the team's history i saw the orlando magic have like a orange pinstripe jersey and look i understand they're trying to sell merchandise they need to make more money they they have lost revenue to make up for but to me it's like all right, if you're going to insist on these wacky alternate jerseys, then get rid of the jersey patches, one or the other. But I think, you know, you start having ads on the jerseys, you've got eight different uniform combinations. To me, it it takes a little bit away from the purity of the sport. I know it's inevitable, and, and the other sports are probably headed there too, but um, I, I had to say something because I, I saw some of these recent jersey leaks, and they are just beyond hideous. I don't know who is going to be spending money on these jerseys, but
3: I guess the teams are counting on it. And
0: Mike Mandel, I'll go to you next.
3: We got some great news yesterday that uh, Pfizer has found a uh, coronavirus vaccine that is, at this point, upwards of 90% effective. Um, Looks like it'll be ready for mass production sometime next season. Um, The next few months, us sports fans, uh, we'll we'll just, uh, that'll be the goal to get through the next few months with a ton of light at the end of the tunnel. I think of all the things that coronavirus has affected, Sports is probably the biggest. Um, If anything beats it, it's maybe concerts. But the one thing that we're least able to do is... um I saw that comment by Adam. Um, the one thing that we're least able to do is get together in a crowded stadium um, and root for our favorite team. So, you know, if we can just get through the next few months, I'm thinking that baseball will be able to go to full capacity sometime mid-next season um, and football probably at the start of its next season. And, you know, if we're really lucky, we won't even see um, capacity for the uh, the basketball and, and hockey playoffs. Um, so some great news and Let's let's just pull through the, the months of winter, um to go back to you know, some of the best pastimes of our lives and go into our favorite team sports games.
0: Well put Mike and Ian, I'll let you follow that. Yeah, no, I think mine goes along well
2: with that because it is um I think it's going to be a very tough winter. Um, One of those pieces that I know we're going to probably talk about next week or in in coming weeks is the the NBA season, when that's going to be starting and what's going to happen with that. Because Mm -hmm. I know the plan now is to kind of have every team play at home. And there's been some discussion of – uh, kind of mini-series the way we see with baseball and travel, but I'm pretty skeptical. Um, just uh, in the time we were recording the show, the Knicks had to shut down their facility due to a few positive tests. Um, so while you know the winter sports are, are kind of ramping up and hoping to start around the first of the year, I think it's going to be very difficult for them to play anywhere close to a full season, especially with cases and numbers already on the rise and, and hitting you know, near all-time records or maybe surpassing in some cases across most of the country. Uh, it's just going to be, I think, very difficult for, for sports to get through these next few months. But hopefully there is light at the end of the tunnel in the spring and uh, this, this vaccine is as good as uh, everyone's claiming. So fingers crossed. But in the short term, it, it may be tough for the winter sports.
0: And my final thought sort of echoes Mike's so where it's a more general Public thought, although it could be considered a sport, that one of my favorite things to watch on TV growing up, besides sports, was Jeopardy, and it's still a competition, so I guess it counts. But I was really sad yesterday to to hear the news, or two days ago, that Alex Trebek, the 38-year host of Jeopardy, passed away, and he was just—he was a huge sports fan. He was—I didn't realize this—he was a big Laker fan, and. He loved the Jeopardy sports categories, and I also saw a cool video from like 1967 where he's narrating the Blackhawks and I think it was Maple Leafs Stanley Cup finals. So it was very cool to see. I will miss seeing him on TV, although I'm sure there'll be reruns, but he was the goat at hosting game shows. So rest in peace, Alex Trebek. You will be missed, and at least you outlive Sean Connery. So for All the Celebrity Jeopardy fans, uh, he got one last laugh in. So with that, I want to thank everyone who listened. And for Ian Gus, Mike Mandel, Adam Rosen, I'm Mike Weil, and we will see you next week.